one like asking questions like just trying to get them to think for themselves a little bit like hey why are you you know probably like stance right like hey why are you using this like why do you do this with runners on base why do you do this with nobody on like just little things like that making them think about you know what they're kind of doing and and you'll find just like i'm sure that you have you have guys that are similar where like some of them have just like zero thought process and it's like i just do it or somebody told me to do it or they just like have no clue or there's like a super thought out one that's like oh okay damn like this guy's like got it together a little bit and like that makes sense so i would say that's kind of like the first thing is really just like feeling out everything welcome to episode three of the backpick podcast i'm your host brett thomas today's guest is colin wilbur an up-and-coming catching coach in the pittsburgh pirates organization Colin has a great deal of knowledge on the position and all the technical aspects of it, but I was really intrigued about how much Colin talks about building relationships and how he works with his catchers. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. first year in pro ball it's uh obviously a, a different different experience right yes. um i think the we obviously will talk a lot of catching i think a, a, a big piece is how do you get into pro ball and kind of start to you know gain a little bit of respect and build some relationships when you get in there yeah i think a lot of it is just like i always say like the difference between going from amateur to pro is like i think you have to have way more feel slash like emotional intelligence to deal with pro guys because a lot of them are just coming from places where they've haven't really failed before you know like a lot of them have been very successful that's kind of why they are where they are um so i think it's a lot of it's just like being patient and then understanding who the guys are that are like ready for what you've got to say so i mean honestly like i feel like i didn't do anything other than ask questions for like the first two weeks of spring training was like, and then you find out, you know, you might have two or three guys that are like super ready to hear anything and everything that you have to say. And then there's going to be some other guys who are like, you can tell they're just going to be like F off, you know? So I think a lot of it is just like, okay, don't like come in guns blazing and just like kind of feel it out and, you know, like wait until they're ready to, to hear what you have to say. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing I also like to talk about is guys that, you know, didn't play professionally, yeah. you know, now starting to work in professional baseball. We see that a lot more, you know, obviously just in terms of what you've done to kind of set yourself up to be in that position to get a job in professional sports. And then obviously then it becomes, you know, the reputation and how you do that. So where do you kind of start in terms of if you're talking to somebody like, hey, I want to be in professional baseball. But I didn't play at a super high level. You know, what's your, your advice to somebody kind of like that? Yeah, I think, well, one, you just have to, like, be super good where you're at. Um, you know, I never really even considered, like, that doing what I'm doing now was, like, going to be a possibility. Um, and I think it was, like, three years ago where, like, the Mariner – actually, I think it was through Tony – I like hit Tony up on uh, on Twitter or something. Saw saw a job opening and like hit him up about something. And then like next two days, like somebody called me about like a manager position in the DR. I was like, holy hell! Like <laughs> that is so out of like the realm of anything I thought was going to be a possibility. 
So uh, that was wild. But yeah, I think uh, it's really about just like being good where you're at. Like, I think obviously the social media thing helped me a lot, like just posting stuff that, and, and honestly, more less of like helping me for the sense of exposure. And obviously, like, I'm sure that helped too, but more in the sense of like me just having to formulate my thoughts every single day to where I realized that that was like, okay, this is like not only like getting exposure for me and my catchers and whatever, but like it helps me. Like I just every day have to like be comfortable with saying what I believe in and like showing something that we're doing and like formulating that into like something I feel comfortable with, like whoever seeing this. Um, so I think that helped a lot. And that, like I said, just being really good where you're at. And I think a lot of it's just like luck, honestly. Um, I had, you know, a handful of interviews um, kind of over the the couple years uh, prior to getting hired by the Pirates um, and even that year. But I think a lot of it just kind of right place, right time. I mean, I've, the, the Pirates spring training complex is 15 minutes from the academy that I'm working at. So obviously that helps. Like, And I quite honestly think the reason I got the job was not only the social media stuff, but like uh, we had a couple guys who would bring pitchers in there during COVID to our academy because it's like the only place that's open. We just kept rolling. So I had a couple of Pirates coaches that were in there and like saw the work that I did and stuff like that. So I think a lot. And then actually like the guy whose job I took at Inspiration got hired as a hitting coach for the Pirates in rookie ball. So it was kind of like just like a domino effect. Mm -hmm. of Now all of a sudden I've got like these recommendations from three, four people and I'm 15 minutes away. And it was like February so it was like, okay, they kind of need to fill the spot like now. So I think it's just like being lucky to like not giving up if it doesn't happen the first year, the first two years. Like I think a lot of like the stars have to align. I think there's more, more like uh, more context and more things going on in the background than people outside of pro ball realize. For sure. And I think you said it perfectly in that, you know, be good where you're at, right? Yeah. And I think that's a that's a message for everybody. Same thing with players, where you're like, yeah, I really want to go. Well, like, you know, be the best where you're at, and obviously, you know, you move up. And I think so many times, people, coaches, players, everybody, were like looking, you know, what's next or how do I get there? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not the best at where you're at now, like, obviously, you're not going to be able to contribute somewhere else, right? For sure. So, for sure. Pretty cool. Talk about you know, uh, kind of moving from a. Like a high school or, or you know, kind of post grad college athlete at mm-hmm. inspiration, and then moving to a professional athlete, both in the uh, a physical tools, right? Obviously, working with some guys that have a little more tools when you get into pro ball, but then also just the you know their mindsets, and and obviously a, a high school kid is hoping to go to college, and a you know a pro player, uh, especially like an international player, is like you know trying to provide. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just like setting aside the physical for a moment is just like the the little things that you like sometimes have to worry about is like I'm even sure that you experience like as a high school coach just like yelling at guys to pick up the baseballs after a round of BP or like just stupid stuff like that like it just gets done in pro ball like that was probably like the thing I was just like coming back to all the guys at inspiration after like the first couple weeks of spring training it's like man like the second that everybody's done hitting or like catching like everyone who's even like semi near the cage at that point is just jumping in the cage and like picking up balls like 
just little things like that you just don't have to worry about like they just get done because like these guys have been around and like other guys have like kind of set the example and then like you see like the you know bake like your your you know your farm director is like jumping in the cage the second you're in there so it's like that example is just kind of there so like little things like that like you don't have to like yell at them to show up on time all the time and just you know like forgetting your jersey just like stupid stuff like yeah, that yeah. you just like cannot don't have to worry about anymore mm-hmm. and you can like focus more on like what matters um so that's obviously nice but yeah i mean like the physical tools are obviously like they're better at baseball right like all of them can throw like they've all got some some tools in there like they can hit they can do all these things um for sure but i think once you like get past that and like okay now you're just like making relationships with this guys with the guys it's like it's really the same thing it's Mm -hmm. really not that different i think once you you've spent a couple months around it or whatever you're like okay like now i'm just like getting to know these guys and it's really not that different yeah it's amazing too because you know and now that i'm older it's like i kind of look back you know you kind of when i was like you know 23 24 25 I thought I kind of knew everything and I thought everybody, you know, that was 15, 16, 17, like knew nothing. Right. And you come to see that like, you know, 24 year olds and 16 year olds are really not that far off. Right. Sure. Uh, Especially in terms of their mentality of, of, you know, they're still always learning and developing as a, as an adult, as a person. Mm -hmm. So you still have those same obstacles, obviously a few of the less things, like you say, kind of picking up balls and stuff (laughs) like that. But, um, so you get in the mix and now you're, incorporated in you know kind of building some relationships what's the first thing you're attacking when you look at a group of catchers what's the first thing that you're attacking in terms of their development uh i think just one like asking questions like just trying to get them to think for themselves a little bit like hey why are you you know probably like stance right like hey why are you using this like why do you do this with runners on base why do you do this with nobody on like just little things like that making them think about you know what they're kind of doing and and you'll find just like i'm sure that you have you have guys that are similar where like some of them have just like zero thought process and it's like i just do it or somebody told me to do it or they just like have no clue or there's like a super thought out one that's like oh okay damn like this guy's like got it together a little bit and like that makes sense so I would say that's kind of like the first thing is really just like feeling out everything. Like I actually like I'm starting to do that right now for like guys that I might potentially have this year that maybe I haven't worked with a ton that I'm like, okay, uh, I'm like actually like going back and like going through the video and like trying to like make my own assumptions about why they do things that they do. So I've kind of like got the answers in the back of my mind, obviously not super uh, available to maybe like the high school coach or whatever, but um you know just kind of preparing for what i think is is gonna happen and then like now i'm gonna like ask those questions already like having done my homework on the back end of like this is what i think is gonna happen so you know little things like that like stances and like talk talk about the stance a little bit so like what's the what's kind of the first key component to the stance and then like kind of moving forward to that. So obviously we have multiple stances, you Mm -hmm. know, we have obviously traditional stances and now we're seeing a lot more of the one knee stances. What's the baseline where it's like, this is, this is where we have to start. And then we go from there. Yeah. I think, uh, I always say this to people who like ask me, like, how do you tell like 
stance to stance, like what's good and what's not. And like, I always say like, it's like, if it looks weird, it's probably weird. Right. So like one, does it like look comfortable and like, does it look like they're going to be able to like be semi-athletic out of it? Um, yeah, I think that's the first place. It's like, is it, is it comfortable? Is it, does it look weird or like whatever? And then obviously like, as I'm sure you've, you've had to give this, this talk and heard people say this, like, is, can we receive out of it? Like, with runners on base, like in any situation, I think that's got to be the priority. Like, I don't think that's widely debated as much as anymore as it might have been two, three years ago. But like, that's that's the thing that we do the most. So like, really looking at comfortability and like, does it look good? And then like, is it effective? Especially from a receiving aspect. And then obviously like, okay, can we do like the secondary, the blocking and throwing out of it as well? And I like that when you said that at uh, at CatcherCon with the idea of like we've we've been backwards in the sense of like we got to block and throw mm-hmm. and then figure out how to receive so we kind of feel like this position puts us in the best spot to block and throw how do we receive from here mm-hmm. but we obviously receive so much more that that thinking's got to go backwards to what do we receive best in yeah let's figure out how to block and throw there exactly yeah and i think that's one of the things that you said that was awesome to me I've, obviously the way you said it kind of resonated a little bit more where it's like yeah that makes way more sense the difficult part at our level is the lack of data, right? For sure. So I think that's the hard, the hard part. When you run into a guy where you're like, hey, man, you receive way better on an E. Mm-hmm. Here's the reality, because I think you and I both know this. A lot of guys block way better on an E. For sure. Right? And that's the other thing where it's like people have this misconception, like, oh, they can't block from there and mm-hmm. whatever. The reality is most guys block better. Sure. There's obviously a mental block for a lot of people in terms of kind of the buy-in of it. Yeah. You know, is it do you just use data as the backing for that or what else do you use if a guy's really hesitant to do it when it's actually way more beneficial for him? Yeah, I think the data and the uh, always like the video. I think the video provides context to to everything. So I, I, like obviously the data is like easy to like just spit this number out at these guys, but like even like at, at my level, like the guys just don't always know like what exactly is important or like what this number means. So I can say like, hey, here's your pass ball wild pitch runs above average. Like what the hell does that mean mm-hmm. to like this kid who's like just in the US for like the first year and like doesn't really have an understanding of what any of this stuff means. So um I think you like the video is very clear, right? Like it, this is what's happened and like, this is the context behind all these videos and these situations. So I think that's important. And even at like the high school level, when I was back there, like it was just charting. Like that was like, uh, I had this case study that I put out on like stout, uh, Zach stouts page forever mm-hmm. ago. And it was all based off this, uh, basically it's just a receiving blocking plus minus chart that I would just do throughout the game. Or I would have the catcher who's not playing that day, like do it on their other catchers for the games I wasn't at. Um, but really just taking that plus minus receiving, like did we make one move through the zone? Right. Like quite simply, like, was it good? Was it not? Um, and from each stance that they use, right. So if a guy is left knee down, right knee down, primary secondary like however you define that um and then just charting that throughout the year and like putting it all in excel sheet and like keeping it running and then like okay you go through three games or whatever and like 
it's typically pretty clear, like probably more clear than I even thought it would be when I like came up with the idea of doing it. Um, but it was just like, okay, we went through, you just caught in six games and like your secondary was terrible or your right knee down was terrible. Like whatever it was, is like, okay, you're really good from this one and this one. Like, let's roll with that. And that's, I don't think it, you know, and that's data, you know, like it doesn't have to be like, uh, I think data gets like a, a bad rap at times from some people, but it's like, that is data, like your plus minus that you tallied that, yeah, it's, it's more subjective than what we have in at the minor leagues and major leagues, but it is like, this is what this is telling you. And like, so, you know, run with it. Like for sure. We've been using data forever. It's yeah. just been in the form of a chart. Or exactly. something that we all, like you said, put back into an Excel spreadsheet. I, I got to check out that chart because I've told my guys the same thing. I'm like, hey, you know, A, you got to know what you're good at, mm-hmm. right? And you can't just be, you know, this feels good, this doesn't feel good. We got to actually know what works and what doesn't. A lot of times at our level, we deal with the conversations with their coaches, right? Because a lot of guys don't understand the value of the stances. They don't understand, they, you know, traditional have a hard time with it, right? And so it's like, you got to start even like at the bullpen level mm-hmm. of like almost charting your bullpens, right? And having that mentality to chart that to go, okay, this is what I did right knee down. This is what I did left knee down. This is what I did on two feet and start to see where you are actually good. And then that also adds some support to the conversation with your coach by saying, hey, actually, when I was on two feet, I, you know, my blocking was worse or whatever sure. the conversation needs to be. But always having that, you know, backing or, and that data is, is super important. I think that's a good point because we do always think of it as the, you know, baseball yeah. savant and the, you know, that's the, the yeah. data that we always think of, but mm-hmm. it's the same stuff. We've been charting pitchers. We've been charting hitters. We've been doing all this stuff for years. Yeah. Right. It's just now catching has been able to kind of pin it a little bit more, especially on the receiving aspect. Right. First case is focusing on, on stances for guys and mm-hmm. what works. Then it becomes obviously since receiving is kind of the basis of, you know, you want to see where you receive best. You then work into starting with receiving with guys and what stances kind of work better with that. Yeah. I would honestly, like if I'm, if I'm take that same situation, like I'm about to like walk into a session with this guy I've never met before. Like I'm probably going to like not even look at receiving with runners on. It's like, okay, what does their receiving look like when there's runners on base? Like that's what I want to key in on is like, what kind of stances are they in with runners on and like how does their move look like and and more specifically like how are they at the bottom of the zone like receiving runners on base like that's why this whole one knee and all this stuff like started coming out right is like they were trying to solve this problem of like everyone's receiving regresses when a runner is introduced and like now all of a sudden you're in this different stance because of the threat of the block and the threat of the throw that we all know doesn't happen as much as we thought it did, you know, or whatever, as much as we were prioritizing it. Um, so that's really where I start is like, you can filter it down to like frameable pitches and like watching, you know, guys receive with runners on and like, what does that stance look like and how well are we able to like capture the bottom of the zone, but like all over the zone. For sure. And I think the, uh, it's so funny, this secondary position has been so much about defending the runner on base. Yeah that we're literally not defending the guy in the box. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always tell people, I'm like, the, that's a good way to put it. I've never heard it like that. That's the, the reality is that like, Hey, do I really care that this runner on first doesn't get to second? Like, is that a higher priority than this one, one pitch I have mm-hmm. on the border? 
right? Because if I'm giving this guy in the middle of the lineup a 2-1 count with a runner on first because I, I really wanted to hold him there, mm-hmm. obviously that puts us in a dangerous situation. I'd almost rather have him at second with a 1-2 count, right? If you For were sure. willing to switch. Because, again, we spend too much time focusing on that guy on the base instead of in the box. So winning pitches, far more important. I think, uh, and I want to know your opinion on this, how much of blocking do you think is just intent? Because I feel like that's a majority of the fight. When guys get on a knee, you have been kind of, we've all caught on a knee. Yeah. Right? This is not a new thing. It's new sure. with runners on base, right? Mm-hmm. But when people start to catch on a knee, they do it with nobody on base. So they have a mindset that they don't have to block. Yeah. So it's kind of triggering that, like, I'm in receive mode. How much do you talk about just, like, the attempt? Like, the R guys, like, they just turn your glove over, and most of the time your body's going to be there. But there has to be, like, some sort of training to the mental intent to want to block when we're in that position. For sure. Yeah, I think the intent, like you said, is huge. It's, it's funny how, like, with even, like, going back to what you said about, like, the secondary, like, you you go further from, like, the traditional secondary. You actually go further from the ground like to block better like inherently like just logically when you think about it that way it doesn't really make that much sense totally um but anyway yeah like you said i think like i definitely want the guys like in receive mode and like the 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 clip you posted recently of tony like being able to like take all that information in and make that decision like as late as possible is exactly what you want it's like it's it's like it's i think we just had it backwards right like it used to be like you want to like be up in this big and active stance so you can make the decision as early as you want to when in reality like you want to be able to like afford yourself the opportunity to like make the decision as late as possible and like gather all the information that you can so you can make the better decision not make the earlier decision and were you the one talking about nito and blocking oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so what was that repeat that his stat on blocking last year I think he was like so. Uh, you know, again, like there's all these like blocking metrics, so yeah. you can like filter it however you want. But like he's definitely like in the top five of like blockers, basically like guys who prevented pass balls and wild pitches. I think he was like third and like the one that I used the most. But regardless, like the guy hardly ever like uses his body. Like if you were to like it, and like for anyone who wants to like go research this, like go look up balls in the dirt or like, I think that's the filter on Savant, um, with, with Tomas, you know, and it's like actually hard to find him like bodying a baseball. Like he picks everything. And I think that's just like a, a commitment to the catch. It's just like, like you said, it's like the intent to like think catch first and then just like kind of react to the ball in the dirt. And it's like, his reaction is just glove and it like works really well. So it's like, and I think that's just like a general thing that like guys are way more capable of than I think we've given guys credit for. And like, you can see it with real Muto and Trevino or like one, two in those same metrics. And like, obviously both one knee guys and both like pick a ton. And I think it's like the, the bandwidth may be like different for from guy to guy and like how much you can pick and how much you need to use your body. Right. But I think if you don't like give them the opportunity to like just make that later decision and like find out how much they can get away with with their glove, like you'll never know that maybe they are just like maybe they just need to pick everything. Absolutely. And some guys have better hand skill than others. Right. I mean, you don't want guys all. But 
just a glove block. You know, like yeah. Yachty later when he started using more one knee stances was like a Dude. big glove block. He would like literally like move to go pick a ball, but it would just be like a paddle. Yeah. So it wasn't like the the risk of like I'm gonna really move through this pick. For sure. But it's the things like that that like we have to change the definition of a block in terms of, you know, did the guy move up? Yeah. And I think I would love to see a stat of I obviously don't know how they would even do it, but it's like uh, you know, amount of times you know, people have tried like opportunities, you know, how yeah. many times did people even try to move up on you? Mm-hmm. Because too many times the stat is caught stealing percentage. And like, you know, we're so focused on block and throw the guy out. Well, like, did we just not give him an opportunity? Yeah. And when the ball's in the glove, they stop. Yeah. Even if you read down angle mm-hmm. and it's in the glove, they're going to hesitate to the point that they stop. Well, that's what you like go back and like you watch some of that video with Nito too. It's like, it's always like a pick and like, looking to backpick like you've got no shot if he's like if every ball in the dirt he's picking like cleanly and like getting ready to backpick your ass if you're off too far like you got no shot to advance on that guy you know what i mean so and that's in the back of your head that like man even if it's in the dirt and i even go a second i hesitate and i know might be out on the back end yeah and i guarantee that's in the scouting report for the opposing team base runners like hey if there's a ball in the dirt and like he's going to pick it and he's going to be looking to backpick you. So like, you better be careful for sure. I also think a cool stat I thought of, um, when I was at this camp and I was talking to turtle Thomas about this, a stat of, um, I think maybe we talked about this at Ketchikan too, but Zan was talking about, uh, like feet, you know, of, of block, like yeah. how close you keep them mm-hmm. all like relative to your body. And then even like, because uh, Brian Watley was talking, we were talking about how we'd, we'd like guys to be square through the block. And I always liked it just because like I want guys to have more surface area and, you know, we don't need to move the ball in any direction other than close to us. But he was talking about perceived, you know, view of now the, the runner, right? Yeah. Where it's like, if I stay square and block this ball here, it's like that ball looks really close to me. If I get around it and block that ball the same distance, there's space there, right? For sure. There's almost like a perceived distance would be... Yeah. Agreed. Maybe that runner takes off because it looks for even though it's like maybe closer than it than it uh you know appears like they take that extra base and take that extra chance for sure yeah for sure so what percentage like you go into day to day let's say let's say spring training where really most of the development happens what percentage of work would you say is receiving what percentage is blocking throwing and then maybe like the the extra you know plays the play you know all that kind of pop ups things like that yeah I mean um. Obviously, this was my, this past one was my first one, but um, I would say it's a little bit different for each guy. Like I think largely, you, you know, like those guys work so damn hard. Like through spring training, dude, and, like they get beat up with with pens and like lives and like be having to be the first one there, last one to leave. Then they like got to go lift after and like all that stuff. So it's like I think a lot of it is like largely like put on them. Like, hey, how much do you want to do? And then like some guys like don't want to block like hardly at all and it's like i'm like as long as like your numbers like back that up that like you're good like i'm probably not going to force you to block a ton uh or throw a ton like if you're because they also like throw so much because you catch all these pens and like you catch this live and like you have to like get hot three times in that day like it's just so much that it's like you you want to like really leave it up to them um but i would say like 80 plus percent of it is like dedicated to receiving and then like i think we want 
almost always when like we're doing like a breaking ball, we want like some kind of like a decision making process between like a received block. Um, you know, if they want it, obviously if they just like her, like I'm beat up, I don't even like want to mess with it. Um, that's fine uh, to me, but yeah, I would say like, you know, we'd probably take a day and like, you know, one day a week and like crush some specialty stuff and like, try to just break up some of the monotony and like make it fun, you know, do a, a pop-up competition where there's $20 or a Chipotle bowl on the line or something like that. Um, but yeah, I would say like 80% probably receiving like 15 ish percent blocking. Like obviously they throw and like, we probably want to be better at this this year and like, just make sure that they have like a set routine and like, are not have ideally not having to, throw five times to like get hot and throw with this guy all the time but uh yeah i mean the majority of it's receiving a little bit of blocking a little bit of throwing you know maybe once or twice a week you know throw to the bases again depending like if they want it or not some guys want that more than others and then like a day or two maybe like spent on a specialty play yeah for sure managing bodies is i mean that's so hard at this age too. You know, it's even hard. with our younger guys, they just don't really understand the Probably value of harder, that. Yeah, you know, and, and obviously they got more to deal with in the sense that they got to go to school and do homework and, and deal with all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, just that idea of understanding your body and, um, you know, like we have our gym here and, and guys come in and work out three days a week and, you know, we're fortunate. We have a great system and, and workouts are catered to them and it's like, they'll work out and then all of a sudden they get to the season and they're like, yeah, like, I just don't know if I have enough time to, to make this all work and you're like man like this is actually the time you you need need to be right more right like you need to be working out now and and maintaining what you did and 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 feeling where your body's at too right Mm -hmm. understanding that you mentioned bullpens i think bullpens are super important and are difficult we all caught like most of us as catching instructors caught Mm -hmm. we all hated bullpens like there's no there's nobody that's going to sit here and you know, to be that, like, we all have, like, people that yes. are kind of like, you know, I'd say, like, teacher's pets or kind of like, you know, coach's favorites and would be like, oh, I love catching pens. Nobody ever said that. Yeah. You know, how do you get guys to understand the value of pens and how they can, they can obviously develop themselves in them? Yeah, I think just, well, one, like, being present, if you can, like, as the coach, just, like, being there in the pen, like, one, like, probably puts a little bit of pressure on them to, like, work on something, but, uh, but two, just to, like, Hey, if you, if you see something like, like talk to him, Hey, what do you got on, on that pitch? Like you, your glove came up a little bit early on that one. What do you think? And it's like, yeah, I felt, you know, I felt this. And if you just like get him question, like ask him some questions, get him thinking about like how they can get better, you know, in, in whatever aspect. Um, but also understanding that, like what you said, like it does just suck sometimes. And like, even if I'm there, I'm just like going to shut my mouth and like, he's grinding right now and this guy's doing like this pitch design pen where he's like just spiked you know 10 wraps of <laughs> like curve balls at the rap soto at 40 feet and yeah. he's like just trying to survive it's like i'm gonna probably just shut up in that instance but you know like you get a pen that's going pretty well and the guy's dotting up a little bit and you see the guy like not really working on the tongue it's like hey like hey what do you got on this like just get them thinking a little bit and typically like the guys are like okay like he wants me to work on something here like i should probably turn it on a little bit how often do you want guys thinking about blocking in bullpens i think that's another thing where people kind of take that relaxed stance or or, you know nobody on base approach to to pens yeah i I think again it's just like 
kind of depends on the workload and like sometimes like guys are just grinding and they're like yeah i just gotta like i just gotta survive this one i'm just gonna pick in this pen and it's like and maybe you need to like work on trying to pick anyway like maybe you've got like a stance where that kind of like fits more and like you're not super comfortable with it like that's totally fine and you know some guys are just crazy as i'm sure you've played with like they just like want to block in the pen all the time it's like okay like you do your thing bro like I, i'm not gonna force it on you but like you want to just like go crazy and work on blocking like it's totally fine or maybe you like want to work on blocking from like a new stance that's like okay i'm gonna like really try and harp on this like i'm gonna work on this new stance and like really try to focus on the blocking with it today like on breaking balls like perfect dude go for it um but i don't think there's like a set rule you know what i mean like it's just you gotta have again like this is where i think like the pro ball like emotional intelligence feel component like just trying to take in like all the context of like what this guy's done that day or like what his last season looked like like was he a good blocker and like do i really care if he like goes crazy and tries to block everything on his seven pen of the day like probably doesn't matter you know um so just having that feel and like context of of everything that they're going through is super important i think it's funny because we're talking about all the stuff that they do throughout the day and we're just talking catching, but you know, we forget that these guys have to hit too. Yeah. You know what I mean? We just brought up like, Oh, they're going to catch pens and they got to throw and they got to get hot five times. It's like, Oh, by the way, like yeah. you got a hit BP and you got live ABs and yeah. guys are watching you. And, and like yeah, exactly. Sprint right. Work and God knows what else. And I think that's meeting or whatever. For know? sure. For sure. And I think that's one of the things that's like, I communicate like on day one guys come in here. I say, Hey, Here's the reality. You probably take hundreds of swings a week to be prepared to hit. And you're going to probably swing that bat five to ten times a game maybe. Mm -hmm. right? And you need those hundreds of swings. But if I know I'm now going to receive 110 pitches a game and I'm going to block four to eight and I'm going to throw on one to four, it's like we need exponentially more reps yeah. for that, right? For sure. And it's like we can't neglect the hitting reps. We have mm -hmm. to add this now in. Yeah. And the left fielder, he gets to just, you know, shag BP. And, like, he's cool on his defensive work for the day, right? Yeah. So uh, how do you help guys? Obviously, it's, it's more catered to them and how they feel. Do you try to help them come up with some sort of a plan on managing that when they get to the season? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it's just, like, uh, you know, again, like, trying to ask questions. Like, hey, what did you do? What did you do last year? Like, what was your coach situation? Like, did you have a catching coach? Or was, like, your catching coach the manager? And he's, like, doing other stuff. Um, I'm always available now. Like, I think that's, uh, you know, we have five coaches at every affiliate for the Pirates. So, so like, that's obviously, like, a, a big uh, a boost. It's a big help. Um, so I'm always available. But it's just, like, it, like what does your routine look like like how many times do you like to to get off the machine or or whatever like when do you like to do it you know depending on how many times you're going to catch that week or what do you like to do pregame and i think a lot of it's just kind of like letting them do their thing initially and then like or maybe they're just like open book and it's like what do you think i should do or you, you know whatever um so just like asking that question initially and then it's like okay like let's go with kind of like their idea and then okay, like I'm noticing like the days he even spends five minutes off the machine before and like he looks way better on those days. It's like, okay, let's try to like maybe like throw one more day in here. Like, hey, let's not like go crazy on day one of the series because you're like, 
I got to get locked in and I want to catch for an hour. It's like, let's not do that. And like, let's do five, 10 minutes on the days you're going to catch. And then like the other two or three days, like just chill and like, sure. you don't have to worry about it. Um, so I think just, just having those conversations, like asking those questions and then like let it play out for a little bit. And now it's like, okay, like let me attack it. I think at the younger levels, there's like no, no plan before games. Right. Yeah. I think that's something that I, I probably should do a better job of, you know, as I've had these conversations of, of trying to help guys with that. What do you think are the key components? Again, I know like a lot of this is, you know, individualized, mm-hmm. right? With each guy, but what are some key components before a game that you feel like if you are the high school kid where you don't have, you know, you show up an hour before the game and you just have to play catch and whatever, but you have five, 10 minutes. What are you, what would you try to maximize in that time? Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, like what I ended up doing the, for, for the majority of the year was like, rather than even like getting machine out or anything like that, it was like, okay, if we have five, 10 minutes, I'm going to like go out there and I'm just going to throw like kind of like a receive block like situation, just like a read and react and like try my best to like sort of recreate, uh, whatever that starter is going to throw. Right. So if he's like a, high arm slot four seam 12 six guy like i'm gonna just you know get it 35 40 feet and obviously not like blow him up but like try and give him something semi-realistic uh depending on who the guy is and just like try to recreate that and like let's receive a couple and then like let's like kind of make them make a decision like a receive block and like when they feel good let them go yeah that was kind of what i went to a lot this year was just like doing my best to like this isn't the first ball you've caught and this isn't like the first ball you've blocked and, and obviously like you're going to throw with the starter the majority of the time and all that so like you're going to throw and like hopefully make some game like-ish throws kind of depending on the guy if they need it or not um but yeah for the most part just like make sure that they have like caught a ball with some velocity and like seen some spin and that's not like the first time they've received or blocked and they're going to catch the pen too so that always helps but you're just given a little bit of confidence going into that pen and then okay now we roll i like that you talk about a little bit of decision making though too because again we are who we are when we step on the field you know whatever preparation you've done until that point is going to show so it starts Mm -hmm. to get to the point of like we just got to get in there and go and trust all the work that we put in just like hitting where we can't go in there and say oh you know i'm trying to get my hands back or you know i need to get my leg up higher or whatever it is I like that idea of decision-making. You did a lot of great stuff uh, on throwing Mm -hmm. at that presentation. I wanted to dive into a little bit some of those drills that you were doing, especially with the lower half. Um, Talk about some of those things that you do in terms of drills, in terms of getting guys that connection to the ground and and a little bit more rotation out of the lower half. Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of it is kind of centered on like – the foot plant from above and this is honestly like kind of something newish that i've uh kind of been playing with um and honestly haven't had like a ton of players go into it so uh we'll see how it works uh when we get to spring training but uh, yeah a lot of it's just like you'll see a lot of guys like with that front foot like they just don't and and obviously this is all context dependent like throwing the second base in a game like all these things are hardly ever in like an ideal circumstance. Right. But I guess I I don't think that we should let that deter us from chasing the ideal. If if that makes sense. Um, For sure. So like understanding that the context is not always going to allow it, but like still like trying to chase that down. So a lot of it's just like centered on in order to like have your 
foot kind of come down from above like quite simply like you have to control your center of mass like your head can't get like too far out on your front side you can't just like kind of slide into your front knee into your front foot like in order to do all these things you kind of have to do everything right it's kind of just like taking the end point and like okay if we can like just work on the end point hopefully everything else before will kind of clean up will you explain that that foot from above yeah so it's it's literally just like exactly what it sounds like um you know in order to like have your front foot plant from above you just like have to control your center of mass into like it's kind of like plant from above meaning that it's like yeah like it's coming down straight down almost like retracting as it's coming down if that makes sense. so you're basically saying like less like where i'm getting like part of my foot down and then like sliding into it it's like it's you're you're actually like it's say if you were going to like step over a baseball or whatever like you had to like get over the top of you know someone laid a bat down and like in front of you had to like just step over it where you're going to like get over it and then your foot actually like starts to retract as it comes down kind of like initiating that like deceleration process Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's that's kind of the premise behind it is like let's try to train this endpoint and like if we can get this endpoint right typically like a lot of the things like on the back on the back of it like have to be right in order to to get that right so that's kind of the the thought process behind it and it's like can be as simple as like stepping onto a base or like stepping over an object um you know a slant board like just kind of changing that to where um you know you have to get over something and it's not just like you know i think we've all seen videos of like people doing transfers or even like and i'm as guilty of this as anyone where you're like you're doing transfer work and the footwork's just like super unrealistic because they're just like so worried about like being quick and like like step step or like Mm -hmm. you just like jump and like get sideways and that's like that's not really what happens in the game so it's like okay how can we kind of like make this a little bit more realistic and actually like Romito is like the guy who kind of like had me see this for the first time it was like and like I think everyone uh, would agree that like Romuto is the gold standard when it comes to throwing. Mm-hmm. Like the guy's got a cannon; he gets rid of it quick. Like he does everything that you want. Um, but like he was the first guy where I could really see like his like his front foot is like like he's a hitter, right? Like he's like kind of like reaching, and like he could like if you put a hurdle under his front foot, he'd like probably get over it. Like a, you know, not obviously it's not he's not leg kicking into mm-hmm. the throw. Um, but it's like a hover over and then like that foot starts to retract. So that's kind of where the ideas come from. I guess we'll, we'll see how it works out. No, I mean, I think it's great. And I've always thought about, you know, the, the incline in general, mm-hmm. right. And like just that old thought of like pitchers, even just warming up on the back of the mound to, to feel that same feel to get over the front side. And you literally, I had that same idea to do the, the slant board. Mm-hmm. And then you did that. And I've always been hesitant cause I, I like, actually just think it's absurd that like those slant boards cost like 90 bucks yeah, so i've right. never bought one and i was like and i was like i'm just gonna make one mm-hmm. right and of course i you know do other things i keep forgetting you know and so then you did that and i was like oh that's awesome i want to incorporate <laughs> that but i have a stability pad in here so i've done it on a stability pad and i think almost added more in the sense of now you really have to be aggressive yeah. with that deceleration process and the pullback of the hip yeah. to really get there. Because now if you're off at all, 
the pad's going to pull you in in yeah. one way or another. Yeah, you have to find the stability yourself versus like the slant board or whatever, like kind of providing it initially. Then you can like kind of progress it to like, okay, how do I make them find the stability? Yeah, the the pad one is super interesting. I think there's some good stuff with that. Yeah, for sure. Talk about the other foot. So you're obviously kind of working, you know, back to front in a sense, like mm-hmm. you know, with that front side. What do you what do you need from the front foot? You mean like the right the foot. back foot? Yeah, um, I think and it's just really like getting it in the ground as quickly as possible. Um, I don't think that, you know, like obviously you can, you look at pitching or, you know, any type of like ideal throwing mechanics and you like to see some sort of a hinge move and like stuff like that. Uh, but like I said, like at the beginning, like all this is like context dependent. So I think the the easiest thing to do is like, okay, how can we like get the foot in the ground as quickly as possible and like get it underneath us, um, without like crashing forward. And I think that's like another like stability thing, like kind of going back, like if you got a guy who's like really just like diving the knee forward, um, you know, on the first move or whatever, getting really on his toe, like doing something like that where you like, okay, I have to like get the foot ground and get the foot down into a pad or something like that can, can be helpful just to like find some stability initially. But I think, you know, like ideally if you can get the foot down and then you can like have the front foot, like get over a hurdle or something like that, like, um, you're kind of going to control your center of mass and be able to stop. Well, how about the angle of that first step? Like, do you, do you believe it should be fully perpendicular? Like get like to the like, target, yeah. The, the um, right foot, like getting full. You know, you see some guys guys get like at like a forty five degree angle, yeah, a little less. What do you okay, feel about yeah. that? I mean, obviously, you know, you're working with some athletes where like, you know, they get to positions yeah, that it doesn't really freaking matter. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're like nitpicking <laughs> yeah. if you're talking about that. But yeah. if you talk about like a little bit more of like base mechanics, like like I think it's super important to be completely perpendicular with that foot, yeah, because that's the only way that hip can hinge or engage for right? sure. Yeah, and I think uh, if you kind of like like relate it back to like how they just find stability like you're typically gonna find like the foot position that's that's kind of ideal like if you put them in a position where they're like stepping onto this unstable pad like they're gonna eventually figure out like okay i'm like strong in this position if you can give them that feedback of like okay like you're just like way off or what you know whatever you're falling off like you can't find stability like let's try this let's try this angle um, but yeah, I think that what you'll find is like, it'll be kind of similar to what you're describing there. Like, but uh, yeah, like at the end of the day, it's like, okay, how can you find stability there? And like, whatever that angle is, like I'm good with, let's roll with it. For sure. And Tony used to always have us do drills. We just balance on the right foot, you know, yeah. transfer, separate and balance. And it was mm-hmm. like, every time I do that with a kid, I'm like, that's it. Yeah, there like it is. that's <laughs> where it's strong because you have to balance there. Exactly. You obviously get locked in there. Um, it's continuing to move backwards. Let's talk the transfer. Okay. What do you think is important about the transfer? Um, honestly, like I don't uh, do a ton of like transfer stuff. Like I think um, maybe the feel of like what guys want to feel in the transfer can be important. Like I think uh, you know you see a lot of people like do stuff like this where it's like hand to hand, like like clapping, and like I don't think that's the reality how of how ninety. 90- <laughs> five percent of guys like actually transfer the ball it's more like that but maybe if you need to feel that to like keep your fingers on top of the baseball or like get you from just like absolutely dumping dumping it like way Mm -hmm. too far and like 
it being inconsistent. Um, but I would even say like some guys who try to do this, like probably don't need it. And like, it can actually cause more problems than, than, uh, than it fixes. But, uh, I think it's kind of like a feel thing for me. I think it's just like, how can we like deflect it into this hand as quick as possible? And like, however you do that and like, let's just do that. And, but yeah, I think largely like doing a transfer without an actual throw is just like kind of eyewash to me. It's like, but, but like if it helps that guy feel good, then like there's merit to it, I think in my opinion. But, um, I just don't think that it really like has a ton of value without like actually making like a high intent throw. And I have to like have the context of like a base runner stealing and I'm trying to throw this guy out. You just do different things. And like I said, like with, with all this stuff with throwing, like it's all context dependent. Like, even if you have a base runner stealing and you're in a bullpen, but there's no like hitter who just like swung ass out and like is kind of in your way and you have to like find a way to get out of it. Like there's all these things that you just can't really control. You know what I mean? So, um, roundabout way to say like, I don't really like isolate the transfer too much, but it's like deflected into your hand as quick as you can. That would probably be like the way I would go about coaching it. I'm just feeling like, kind of having that shortstop mentality for sure i think that's the the best part of what's happened to this position is that we've made it athletic put the athlete back into it for sure i mean it's been freaking like i now look back at like what i used to watch as a kid i mean it's it's unbelievable like really like the positions guys were in and everything like that and and to have like old heads sit here and tell us like you know it was so much better in the old days and it's like are you literally watching like what this is not even close you know what i mean like it's it's absurd so Last question I ask every guest. Okay. Uh, anywhere along your journey, whether it be spring training, maybe you're out at a minor league spot, mm. could be with the big club, whatever. Give me one place to eat that sticks oh, out for man. you. That's a good one. I'm trying to think of something. I want to like eventually year. like put this like map together yeah. of like all the like because <laughs> most of it's like minor league spots where guys awesome. are like you know and I like have like all these places but man that's a good question I'm trying to think of like some places that we eat this year where do you spend most of your time during the year are you just roving uh, Greensboro yeah okay. I'm actually yeah, I'm oh, in nice. Greensboro with with the team the entire year oh okay okay yeah so um, typically in that like southeast North Carolina South Carolina Georgia gotcha gotcha. Dang, you're you've got me right now. Like, I can't really think of anything off the top. We you don't have to a this, go-to spot, like in Greensboro. Yeah, um, a lot of times it ends up being breakfast spots because the reality is like you yeah, don't have you a lot know, of time to get dude, dinner. Especially in Greensboro, like everything closes at like ten, so yeah. like you get out of the park and it's like a ghost Done. town yeah. out there. Um, shoot, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, Bourbon Bowl was the spot in in Greensboro. Super cool place. Uh, good food, but it's like a bowling alley inside of like a bar. Oh, nice! Um, pretty sick little spot. It was like five minutes from my apartment, so super cool. That's probably a go-to spot. Awesome! Whenever the coordinators came in town, they're taking us out there. <laughs> I dig it! I dig it! Sure. Awesome, man! Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. I think we got a lot of good info today, and uh, hopefully, get you back on and do it again for sure, bro. Awesome! Appreciate it. If you enjoyed that, be sure to like and subscribe. We'll have a new episode for you every single Tuesday here on our YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts.